Hi, Film Files. We're back for another hour of wonderful film discussion. And if you sense the tone of hesitancy in my voice, I'm sure that you've heard this is not late-breaking news, but on-screen, off-screen, directing legend, iconic filmmaker Wes Craven passed away last week, or actually just about five days ago, from yep. brain cancer. And... One of my favorites, so many films. He directed 29 feature-length films. He wrote, well, he wrote most of them. Yeah. And, uh, and this one was really hard for me. Um, I don't, I'm not going to need to see a counselor because of it. So tonight we're going to talk about, that was a really long intro. Well, I'm going right. to have to cut that. <laughs> so tonight we're going to Jazz be, Odyssey. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll intercut that with a jazz Odyssey. So we're going to spend two hours talking about every Wes Craven film. So we're going to use Nightmare on Elm Street as our jumping off point, but expect tangents ahead. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. You are listening to 90.7 WAZU, and we are called Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. So, I'm glad that I don't have to break the news to everybody that Wes Craven's dead. We're all aware. Indeed. So I, I knew that it was going to be fun to do the research, and Stuart had the idea to do Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm glad that he did. Kind of surprised that he did, actually. Why? Um, because it doesn't really seem like uh, it's a movie that's too far up your alley. No, you're absolutely right. It's not. There's However, a lot of silliness. There's. I saw this when I was a kid, and I dismissed it when I was a kid as being something that was, all right, I didn't, you know, eh, who knew? Who knew that this film was going to explode into what it is today? It, I mean, Freddy Krueger is an iconic nightmare, driving whatever you want to say. I mean, he's absolutely, he's one of those iconic horror villains that's out there, along with, you know, Jason and... and they, Michael Myers. Michael Myers and uh, the alien from Aliens. I mean, you name it. There, I mean, these are what nightmares are made of, and, and Freddy... Literally, is what nightmares are made of in this particular film. And and while and I, I I said this earlier to Jimmy, and he was cringing at first. I find this to be absolutely a ridiculous, ridiculous, but fun film. I mean, it's so fun to watch. I mean, there's very little plot involved at all because you get thrown in to the deep end right from the very first scene. From the very first scene, there's no lead-in, no nothing. You just get thrown right in. And, and and literally, you learn later on what Freddy's all about or sort of all about, which I have problems with anyway. But it it truly is the epitome of a teen slasher film. The only thing that it's missing are boobs. Yeah, this is definitely one of those films that invented a lot of movie tropes that are being kind of done in respect now movies that Truly. are modern but their motivation is 1980s slashers and so to see a movie like this come out which i will definitely side with Stu that it it does have its its ridiculous parts i think if you side it up with uh halloween 
and Friday the 13th and like, oh, I don't know, the Leprechaun series. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if that one counts in no, that same really territory, even though I will no. say with uh, it, it's 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 fascinating just to, to see how these series started and then what they eventually became, because some of the films later in any of these series are more like straight comedy than horror. Absolutely. It's like the horror adds up to be a gag, which can work in some instances but if that's the whole film and um i'm i was talking to jimmy while we were watching this and my um least favorite hellraiser film is probably the seventh one hell world where they pretty much make a mockery of pinhead and (laughs) he's pretty much um there to push forward a plot where like hellraiser has become a video game That's kind of the the tragic downside yeah, of these awful. series and what they became. But the originals are stellar. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And and you know, Wes Craven made. I mean, this was his bread and butter. Yeah. You know? I mean, this was his livelihood. I mean, Freddy Krueger, his creation, truly did become alive on its own. I mean, it really took on a life of its own. And. And let's be let's be honest. Robert England as this character, I mean, that's what he made his his career on. I mean, yeah, that's the much. basis for his career. And and Wes Craven, while you know he's credited as as being a great writer and everything else, he does a lot of things in this movie that I don't think I'd ever seen before. Yeah, but the you one know? thing that stood out to me is um, when he had. Christina slash Tina, right. when he had her in the body bag, I thought that was such an amazing thing because I don't know if anybody had ever done something like that in a horror film before when it's a dream sequence and Nancy has fallen asleep during oh, a class yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, Tina yeah. is standing there, but then all of a sudden she goes around the corner and she's being dragged by an invisible force and trailing blood. It's like, wow, this is really eye-popping visually and fascinating and amazing. The The other thing that I found to be fascinating was when I think it was the Nancy character who was laying in bed and Freddie is pushing against the wall above her head and he it's obvious that it's it's some sort of uh uh a nylon or something yeah like an elastic right? substance mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's like elastic, a, a cotton jersey it's it's amazing the effect though because it really looked like he's trying to push through the wall and it's a practical effect it's simple it's it's such a brilliant way to deal with such a horrifying thought but it it's scary and yet believable at that point because he's pushing through and it's like and then she reaches back and touches the wall. It's seamless. It's great looking. And and again, that's all that's 100 percent Wes Craven right there. That is brilliant. These films are it's not the most mind blowing plot that I've ever seen. But what my favorite one is actually the uh, fourth one, I believe. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And there are a lot of plot devices that were used in Inception, which I find really fascinating. Like, they're at, um, like, a a juvie, basically. Um, And this is going to be a little spoiler. But so all the characters start having these dreams. And so they individually, they can't kill Freddy. So they all go to sleep and they all have a kicker. They have some sort of time device or somebody that's going to wake them up at a certain time and they all meet up in the dream and they take on Freddy. Uh, That's one example. But there's like four or five other things that's like, okay, this Inception, it didn't rip off Freddy's dead, but some really interesting 
decisions that were made with the writing of this movie that were really clever. And I was looking up to see which film made more money. Halloween, which came out in 78. Friday the 13th, which came out in 1980. Or Nightmare on Elm Street, which came out in 1984. Which do you think, Ben, you might already know? I don't. I would say Halloween. Halloween's budget was 325000 and the box office was $70 million. Yep. Friday the 13th was budget of 550000 box office of $59 million. And this movie I thought was kind of strange. Uh, I mean, it's more of a, a niche market than like a straight-up slasher, but the Nightmare on Elm Street's budget was $1.8 million, and it got $25 million. So Halloween within a landslide. Oh, yeah. So then I was thinking about it, and I was like, why— I mean, in Friday the 13th, Halloween is the most simple of the three. Oh, without a doubt. And I think the fact that it's not a ghost like Jason, and he's not this fantasy entity like Freddy, but he's he's a real guy who always walks and he's always consistent, but it doesn't take place at a camp and it doesn't take place in the dreams. It takes place in a neighborhood like where you live. Illinois. It's like the, the exactly, exactly. Haddonfield. Every it's time. like the every town, Illinois, right? It's yeah. like the most uh, ripped from the headlines, like ultra realism. And I think maybe it scared people the most. I I mean, I think Halloween is, is way scarier than any of the other three. Oh, by, by far. But I think, I think it also is. part of it is that uh, it, well, I, and Jamie Lee Curtis and of course, William Shatner's face. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, without, that's a good point. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is just stunning, and and of course William Shatner. Oh, geez. well, there's there's I just mean, iconic. If we're comparing all those things, um, there's just something truly abysmal about that mask and those hollow eyes, and just truly. especially the the shots in that film. You know, we're talking about John Carpenter here, and pretty much his dun, his dun, big ticket. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's plus another one the of theme. those simple scores, right? Yep. But um, yeah, that's not to downplay. Some of the uh, the scarier things, Nightmare on Elm Street. But to me, Nightmare on Elm Street is more entertaining than it is frightening. If that Truly. makes sense, yeah. no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the 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 scene where Freddy's hand comes up out of the water, right between our main character's legs in the bathtub. Come on, you. I mean, that is just. Come on, I just sat there and I was like, I looked at my son and I'm like. This is so ridiculous and yet so entertaining. <laughs> yeah, because you just true. have to you just have to suspend disbelief at this point, because ah, uh, again, it was one of those scenes where you're like, really, he's gonna stick his hand up right between her legs in the tub. Yeah, and if you look at the films that um, Craven had directed before this, this was more slanted toward entertainment. I mean, look at his first film the last house on the left absolutely brutal the hills have eyes absolutely brutal the sequel was too a lot of this was just his films before nightmare on elm street just very visceral very violent and there are parts like that in nightmare on elm street but this is a different game entirely yeah you know this is say more psychological than actually brutal looking i mean there were a couple of when the one scene where you can actually see the the cuts being made on the girl that was pretty brutal when the kid was being hanged in the the that was pretty brutal but again there was not a lot of gore One of the reasons that I've always respected Wes Craven so much is that he's always been able to have the creative freedom 
to direct whatever movie he wants to direct. You know, like Last House on the Left is still to this day one of the darkest. I mean, I, I have an issue with rape scenes anyway, and Last House on the Left is just, it's hard to watch. And so is Hills Have Eyes. Hills Have Eyes Part 2 is the same, only more. But, you know, these this movie, you know, Freddie, we were talking about before we recorded. Um, in 2010, they had a, a reboot of this which Robert England gave his thumbs up, seal of approval, and Wes Craven just detested it to every possible which degree. I don't get. Well, they I can understand. Yeah, there were some liberties it, but... that they took. I mean, in the, in the right. 1984 version, instead of making Freddy a child molester, they made him a child murderer in the remake. You know, the remake is not cheesy. It's not campy because the actual basis for Freddy is not a cheesy or, or overplayed plot. It's, you know, this child molester who was uh, killed by parents and came back and sought revenge on the parents by killing the children. And, you know, it was but Wes I, Craven's decision to, you know, make him campy. And each p- film that came after, they each film was funnier than the one that came before it. And this is the most serious of the bunch. But I can't think of another franchise where the first one is good, second one was better, third one was better, fourth one was better, and then New Nightmare was all sorts of meta, which was just good in its own regard. But The only one I can think of that jumps out where the first sequel was better, I would say Hellraiser, but then after that, yeah. it's um, I don't it like the third one. Yeah. I, I do like the fifth one, but everything after that, I think they're at least nine or ten now, Yeah, is a definite Horrible. no. Horrible. I like the I like the second one because it expands on the world, but then the third one meets some of the same problems that horror franchises do. Is it gets really Americanized, which Clive Barker is a Brit, right. and it's like, oh, how can we make these outlandish Cenobites who shoot CDs at people? Yeah, oh no, no anything yeah. but that. It have to be MP3 players now. Yeah, unfortunately, Nightmare. What it does is it it puts this. It's a ridiculous circumstance. It truly is an absolutely ridiculous series of events that puts these children in harm's way for no apparent reason. I I mean, it really, I mean, if he's going to go after somebody, why go after the kids? Other than the fact that they make the claim that he was a child Child killer killer or whatever, you know, again... I Go think instead of going, well, if I they're... think that that shows the 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 diabolical mentality of Freddy is that he's like, well, I could I could kill the parents, but if I want to inflict the most possible amount of damage on these people, would I kill them or would I kill what they love most? Okay, I can see that. And how does he come back? I mean, it's never explained, at least not in the first one. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched any of the others. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, think how I've does seen he that come before. back? What is it? What's the explanation? I mean, is there any explanation as he comes back, or is he just a malevolent spirit? That it's almost has... it's almost like the film picks up when Freddy coincidentally just happens to decide it's time to come back. There's no, there's not really there's not a really specific a, an event. There's that... really not a concrete shot or you know moment of ex- exposition where somebody says, "Oh, I know why Freddy came back." It's because insert reason here. It's more like okay. He's back, and here's you know an explanation of what we as parents did to him right. when um, Nancy's mother is downstairs and right. coincidentally has the glove just for some have, reason. Yeah, yeah. Not just that. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that part kind of it's in the, the, the stove. It's what in the vent downstairs. Yeah, 
So well, yeah, um, in the furnace of all places, which is where Freddie, you know, I gotta assume that that that's the metaphor for him being burned. You know, yeah, I that's. Mean, it well, was just, I think in the warehouse too, where they originally right, killed the him. The boiler, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of is maybe there was some kind of spiritual residue, and finally he's gained enough strength through that physical object for him to come back. That's the only thing I put together, but that's also a stretch, and they they really didn't even point toward that. That's just me trying to come up I, with a reason. I yeah. get that. It's not meant to be that deep. I get it. However, what do you mean? I would have. <laughs> you need liked, to watch it again. You didn't get it. I would have liked a little bit more of an explanation. You know, buried in an old Indian burial ground, infused <laughs> with magic or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, cursed the parents as he was burning, and therefore like in, the curse lives like on. In, like, in like, like in thinner. Like exactly. Like in thinner. Right. Thinner. Right? Oh exactly. god, that's a crazy movie. Whatever it was. Whatever it was, don't I eat would the have pie. Liked... <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, but that's... what year is this? I'm sorry. That's the thing that with horror movies, I mean, you almost have to shut off the parts of your brain that are logical. Like, oh, there's a funny sound. Let's go investigate. Well, they have to go investigate to add to the body count. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm in this terrible dream sequence where my dead friend is in a body bag and trailing blood. Well, I should go down to the cellar, right? Which mm-hmm. was, which again, a brilliant sequence. However, yeah, like what, the boiler what, room was oh. awesome. Like that's, ter- that's pretty Illinois, terrifying. Filmed in Chicago, which is cool. I know. Well, I swear that the 1980s, every single teenager film, teenage film, you know, whether it was a John Hughes or whatever it was, Wes Craven, they were all filmed in northern Illinois. All of them. Boom. But yeah, or at least took place in northern Illinois. Exactly. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, and that's great. Anywhere it's, USA. It's exactly right. It's any town USA, and apparently Illinois is that white bread, which uh, we are. Now we're cool of. because Whatever. we have we'll an ultra-corrupt yeah, we'll government. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now, we're too, now we're too edgy to be anywhere, yeah. you know, just <laughs> yeah. over yeah. here with our corrupt that's government, we and we're losing all of our money and can't pay no for the roads. and, you know— Teachers are getting. Never mind. Did anybody else notice that this is the fourth episode we've done f- with a 1984 film? Yes. Isn't that yeah, kind of funny? That's Terminator. Terminator. Uh, Indian. Uh, Temple of Spinal Doom. Tap. Temple of Doom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Spinal Tap, and then this one. Yeah. Absolutely. Other movies that came out this year. This is crazy. <laughs> Check this out. No, this is nuts. Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, Beverly Hills Cop, Never Ending Story, Romancing the Stone, Police Academy. All franchises, mind you. Revenge of the Nerds, Hills Have Eyes Part 2, Gremlins, Children of the Corn, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Don't Open Till Christmas, Firestarter, Ghoulies, and I liked how Toxic Silent Adventure. Night, Open Night was next to Don't Open Until Christmas. Okay. I know, right? Two <laughs> Christmas horror movies. Wes Craven was busy. Was a, America well, was such a lucky country. Wow. What Three. Happened? There's one on IMDb, Invitation to Hell, also listed oh, as 1984. Yeah. Oh, yeah. An yeah. actual directed by Wes Craven. Right. Went special fire. So I think the one that I the first the first one that really had an effect on me. This is not uh, uh, an original answer. I I can't say the shocker changed my life. Dude, Although, shocker! I, I love that movie. Still, I don't care how much it gets made I, I fun of. I definitely don't want a T-shirt that says the shocker changed my life. Well, it's <laughs> but, well, it's not it's not the shocker. It's just shocker. Yeah, shocker, that's true. That's yeah. true. Um, no, scream. He never, oh, yeah. he never stopped he never stopped directing movies you know I I kind of had in my recollection that Wes Craven reinvented the slasher and he did but there was never a period when he wasn't making films you know Absolutely. Vampire in Brooklyn I'll probably uh, we'll agree is his worst that, movie yeah. we'll all forget that. people um, under the stairs 
people under the stairs. Uh, and how many of his films have been remade? Oh, I mean, despite the fact films. that probably my, I didn't see The Hills Have Eyes remake. I didn't see no. Last House on the Left remake. I'm sure I they're terrible. The, um, Hills Have Eyes remake was. Well, not one of the the better horror movies that I've seen. It was done in the spirit of the original, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I would probably give it like out of a ten, probably a six. Fair wow. enough. It's like it's like I'm looking at the cast right. for Scream. I didn't realize half of these people. Rose McGowan was in that one. Lee Schreiber was in that one. Holy buckets! I need to go back and watch that one again. So I was looking at some of his writing credits, some of the su- stuff that you might not remember. But between 2011 and 2015, these short films were released, and you can watch them all on YouTube, mind you. Kruger. There was Freddy Krueger, Nightmare yeah. on Vape Street from <laughs> that came out this year. There was Kruger, the slasher from Elm Street on, in 14. Uh, Kruger, A Walk Through Elm Street. Kruger, Another Tale from Elm Street. Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, which <laughs> he wrote and he was also uh, starred in. Oh man! Uh, there's also um, no. Well, that I, was I haven't it was originally a graphic novel, right? Was it? Because I know yeah. there, there is a graphic novel. Yeah, we were just Ash. talking about. Yeah, we this. were talking about that because I uh, I remember wanting that graphic novel but never really buying it. That would be he, hilarious. He also wrote and starred in uncredited, not star. He, he had an uncredited right. cameo from '04, Freddy versus Ghostbusters. Freddy versus Ghostbusters. It's on YouTube. It's like half an hour. It's filmed with like a Sony Handycam. And it is hysterical. I've got to watch in it. Like a, in a, I mean, in a bad way. Like, right. It's, it's, it's great dumb, in the worst yeah. possible way a movie can sure. be. Sure. So it's like these are like, these are sweeted. Yeah. Oh. There is a sweeted movie channel. I don't know if you're. I've seen some of them. I've seen like sweeted trailers, like one for um, the Force Awakens, which mm-hmm. is hilarious because it's like people on bikes instead of in X-wing fighters. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Freddy, not surprising, was uh, ranked by AFI the 40th greatest movie villain. Uh, New York Times said it was one. Of... This is such a funny. This is such a funny claim to fame. I almost didn't even write it down, but one of New, New York Times said it was. One of the top 1,000 movies ever made. <laughs> that's, is, that's, that's a backhanded compliment. That's something to put on the Blu-ray, it's like producers. Saying, it's like saying, ooh, it was a movie that was made. Yeah. <laughs> it happened. It happened. They definitely released that one. I can tell yes, you that much. Yes, they did. Oh, wow. It would be so sad to not make the list of, although I'm sure that, I, oh, there you know, are thousands I, of movies that didn't make the top 1,000. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I was writing down, I was looking up movies that came out in 1984, and IMDb gave me all the ones that I read, and then I Googled it, and there I am, uh, there was a, like seven or 800 that came out in 1984, so. Uh, it's unbelievable. Far be it for me. Although, those that's also uh, international, but blah, yeah, blah, blah. Anyway. Still. Well, how many times do we talk about films that are coming out in 2015 where you just w- watch the trailer and you feel absolutely nothing? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, they... that's an across-the-board thing, even if you oh, go back yeah. in time when they didn't even have a chance to watch as many trailers because of you know lack of internet. You could still see the trailers when you watch another film and feel the same thing of, wow, this looks like a steaming pile of crap, or I don't want to see this. I also really liked about Nightmare that uh, the parents, well, they partially played such an active role in the plot because they were, like, involved in it. They're the ones that killed Freddy. But um, in general, with horror movies, usually the ones that involve younger kids, the parents are 
usually devoid of any sort of personality or any character, and they're just kind of accessories. And I was watching Nightmare the other night, and, you know, these characters make stupid decisions, and they're doing things that nobody in real life would do, of course, and this is, like, a stereotype that still exists in horror. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, you know, when I was in high school, I did some pretty stupid things, and I made some pretty stupid decisions. It's easy to say what you would do as a character if you were in that situation, but high schoolers do dumb things. And in the heat of the moment, you know, your decision-making skills are kind of compromised. So she's going to run up the stairs because maybe she, you know, uh, equates her bedroom with comfort or safety or whatever. But she's scared. She ran up the stairs. The stairs are made of biz quick. Yeah, Bruh. right? That was awesome. Oh, <laughs> I Again, the practical effects were just ridiculous. The tongue phone. The tongue phone. I love the tongue phone. <laughs> <laughs> They're on Netflix. If you're if you're interested, by the way, Nightmare on Elm Street Part One and Part Two are both available yes. on Netflix, as well as New Nightmare. Yes, as well as a four-hour documentary oh, on the really? franchise no called oh, Never Sleep wow. Again. Four um, hours. Four hours. <sighs> but so that yeah, they were. Uh, Wes Craven was talking about the tongue phone, which Nancy. Clomkamp, whatever her last yeah, name is. That last name, name is, is insane. Heather. Heather. Yeah, that's yeah. way easier. She wanted to keep the uh, tongue phone. So everybody was kind of like, <laughs> what you going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> but they, Wes Craven said he spent $5 at a party store on prosthetics. He got like oh, the Halloween tongue. God, Apparently they, they lost the original glove, though. I know. I, I wonder uh, who stole it, too. I, somebody stole I think it. Breck and Meyer stole it on yeah, Freddy's Dead. But, um, oh, and the phone, the disconnected phone that was all wrapped up. Right. And then it rang. Yeah. That's not even a special effect. No. That's just a sound effect of a phone. Of course. But they cut back to it, and it does affect you. I mean, not for the rest of your life, but it is like, oh, that's creepy. Good right. job. Well, High fives, I mean, that's effects just, team. That's just sound. I mean, that's well, yeah, right. but I, I mean, mean, you know, horror movies spend a lot more money to get way less of an effect now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, you're right. You're well, right. I thought one of the funniest parts didn't have anything to do with special effects. Um, apparently, for this film, um, Robert England was trying to imitate Max Shrek from the 70s Nosferatu, and there's a scene where I think he's chasing Tina, and he's almost like dancing a jig. He's sticking his hands out and... right. Pumping his arms upward while also kind of kicking, and I don't know. He it was like just a special needs gorilla or really, something. It was just <laughs> hilarious. Like here he is. It's supposed to be this. It's supposed to be this terrifying scene, and he's just pumping his arms like he's in the club, or I don't know, or like an ADD sand person, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he reminded me. Well, obviously this came before Power Rangers, but he kind of reminded me of like a putty. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, exactly. He just needed a button on his chest to punch. Yeah, so they had just. Did anyone try to punch his chest? That's my question. No, no, no. Uh, they failed. That's why they didn't try to punch his chest. And the long arms in the alley. <laughs> yeah, they was just done with fishing line. Of course, there were two dudes that just yeah. had fishing poles holding fishing it up. Poles. Pretty effective. <laughs> and the, um, I think the my favorite. Uh, you could. It's this is a practical effect. No computers were used in this, but they. Uh, for the scene with Johnny Depp dying, they had this room that was a rotating room. And so they had this camera affixed to the walls. They had, you know, all the set pieces attached to the floor. And the cameraman was, like, strapped into the camera. And so uh, they turned the camera upside down. When you see the blood shoot out of the bed, obviously the blood was just pouring down from the uh, ceiling. And they rotated the room. But the blood hit 
the socket and electrocuted everybody on set. And (laughs) the room started rotating on its own. And if you watch it, the blood is like moving almost diagonally. And it was a totally happy. It does look cool. And it was a totally happy accident. Except for the electrocution part. Yeah, they were all fine. It builds character. (laughs) It went on to inspire the film Shocker, the end. (sighs) So of Uh. everybody, every. Everybody has their own inspiration for where this movie came from. And, you know, like Fred Krueger was this guy that bullied uh, Wes Craven when he was younger. And But Wes told this story that was like gave me goosebumps. When he was seven, he was up in his room, and his mother was way over-religious and would never let him watch movies. And he had this over overactive imagination, and his dad died when he was like four. So he, like, looks out of his window— Seven years old, they were in this apartment on the second story, and he sees this old old bum in ratty clothes that's just walking down the street in the middle of the night. And the bum stops and must have sensed somebody watching him, and he just slowly turns his head up and stares at Wes Craven. And Wes Craven, like, startles and ducks down and, and waits down for what felt like five minutes. And then he stuck his head back up, and the bum was still staring up and looking at him. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of terrifying. Nightmare fuel. <sighs> Nightmare. But anyway, well, that is scary. I mean, and if that's where the impetus for this character came from, then genuinely, that's that's horrifying. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just I, the whole idea behind the character is a little creepy to begin with. But the fact that he attacks you in your most vulnerable place possible, the time when you think you are the safest, mm-hmm. that hits us at a visceral level that hits us right where where you know our our lizard brain is so mm-hmm. well and i think too it's something that we can all relate to and at the very minimum when you've fallen in a dream and woken up i or, have jittery legs so i'll have like a random dream that i'm running or something not a, even a scary dream that i'm just running in general and i wake up and i kick mm-hmm. like a lot of dreams are related to what's happening with us in real time in real life mm-hmm you ever kick Amy? Uh, probably. Oh. Yeah. Probably, sorry. Probably. But, I mean, she she's kicked me back, so maybe we're like dream street fighting. Dream blood sport. I get, I get to be Blanca, though. Is she Frank Duke? Speaking of kicking, John Saxon. Yes. Yes. Enter the dragon, John the Saxon. The lieutenant. Yeah. That's like I think of. Hilarious. Yeah. I didn't realize that he was in this until I watched That's it again. That's a handsome man I didn't realize right he was such a screen legend. I know. I mean, I loved him in Enter the Dragon, but he, by the time he was in Nightmare on Elm Street, it was almost like, uh, he was almost like at cult status. I know. And God, he's he's a good looking older man. He's the best comb well, over I've ever seen. It truly, really the best a comb really over. Really a good comb over. I Come wouldn't on. say, a, yeah. All we need is one over. roundhouse kick, Lieutenant. Just one. one. <laughs> Let us see your chest hair, Lieutenant. Come there on. Is, yep. I was asking for it too. Yep. But there were none. No roundhouse <laughs> kicks the, to be had. On the opposite side, the mother, Ronnie Blakely. What an unusual-looking woman she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she probably perfect just... for the role, though. Oh, yeah. Perfect for the role, but what an odd bird. I mean, seriously, what an odd-looking woman. And I, I, I went to look up her other roles, and, and seriously, she's done a lot of kind of out-there things. Yeah. But that—and yeah, again, this was probably one of the most 
out there. But yeah, she hasn't really been in very much. No, not much at all. But she's been it, in like five things since 1984, which I is know, fine. Which Whatever. Is I've been right. in zero things since 1984. Yeah, me too. More power to you. But if you just ah, I, her I, eyes were really weird. Her, she just her, was very mannish. Yeah, she was very mannish. She looked trans. Ben, didn't I say that she looked trans? Kind or did I just uh, think that? Yeah, I think you just thought that. I think like her character, the look fit the the dreamlike quality because some there are some points in the film where it's you know real life and not a dream where I thought that maybe Nancy was dreaming like when it's in the basement and um, Mrs. Thompson brings a glove out I thought that she was going to put it on and turn to Freddie but no right. that's just no. happening in real time and I think mm-hmm. that's why her look worked even if it's highly unusual. Well, I love the way yeah. that it that it like metacognitively messes with your. Mental state to the point where after a couple, oh, thank God she's awake. Nope, she's still in a dream. Okay, oh. now she's awake. Oh, nope, still in a dream. Seriously. Then, which but was absolutely dream. ridiculous. Freddy turns yeah. into a car. car. He's a freaking car. And this is coming from somebody who, I mean, I enjoyed reading Christine, but, I mean, Come I was on. thinking to myself, this is absolutely ridiculous, but ridiculously entertaining at the same time, but we're talking about a killer car here. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> And each, I love each, Stephen King, but I have to sequel, say, come on! And a lot of times when, exactly. I'm, when I'm reading his come work, I'm just like, come on! Yeah, the the uh, the starts and the ends of all of the sequels were just way over the top, <laughs> like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, over the top. Right. And but, Wes Craven's original ending was not supposed to have the Freddy car, and was supposed to be a happy ending. Was not supposed to be a sequel. And unfortunately, the movie machine at work uh, put their little wrench in that. But I'm glad that they did because, like I said, every sequel challenged itself and was challenged by the predecessor. And they, it wasn't just a carbon copy the way that sequels are now. And it's not just, well, let's just put more of what was so popular of the first one in this one. Right. You know, they challenged themselves. They uh, challenged audiences to think just a little bit a little bit more um, than the other, you know, mindless slashers that were coming out. Because Friday the 13th, I mean, they're okay because I like all horror movies, but I don't understand people that are, like, diehard Friday the 13th no. fans. I mean, it's the, the same thing over and over. Gore, yeah. gore and sex, sex and gore, gore and sex, sex and gore. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what it boils down to for those films. And it seems like it doesn't really have close to sense of a the sense of humor that nightmare has not and not close. not even just the cheesy puns but nope. you know like i thought freddy versus jason was hysterical um and i thought the plot was the best possible plot that they could have come up with because they had been talking about making that movie for years right you know one of the things that fascinates me is that our 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 original heroine tina is has been in so many different Teen films, and and I I looked her up. Uh, what's her name? Amanda Weiss or Wiss, and she was in Better Off Dead. She was in Fast Times of Richmond High. I mean, she's just been. She was in all of those, and it was just fascinating to me that that looking back at her filmography, she was one of those characters in just about all of the films at that time, you know? I mean, it just, it was, it, it's kind of interesting to see. And I, I only recognized her from Better Off Dead, which, you know, that's just iconic John Cusack. But again... Gee, I'm real sorry your mom blew up, Ricky. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Freddie's got seven minutes of screen time. 
That's it. Isn't that crazy? No. That's crazy, everyone. It is perfect. That's perfect because the less you see of the villain, the more you're going to be afraid of him. Yeah. And, and but that, it's funny that, that they knew that which, already by then. Jaws, hello. Well, they knew yeah. That. Maybe he had such little screen time because of how long it took to do the makeup. Yeah, man, probably. it took like three hours to make him Freddy. So, I don't know. Maybe they erred on the side of caution and said, "Okay, maybe if we do take the uh, example of Jaws, that you know, if we have him as an outline, like the scene Stu was describing, that he'll be more menacing. If you know he's a shadow in this scene or he's an outline in this scene, so when Absolutely. you do see him like in full, it has a little bit more effect. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, you can hear him, or he's just footsteps somewhere. So then, when he does emerge, like in the boiler room, I think it creates a, a more drastic effect than you know. Oh, you see him, and he's still chasing the same girl down the same hallway. Exactly. You know, which <laughs> that's I, I get tired of that in. Um, sloppily edited horror films. It's just like, wow, how long is this person going to be chased? This has gone on for 10 minutes, and it's not going to stop. There is an elephant we haven't spoken about. Uh, Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Yeah. He's not super proud of this movie. Doesn't matter. This was his first film role. Yeah. This was his first on-screen appearance. It does kind of make me sad that he's not more proud of this film. Well, I can understand, but if you you look at how he got the role, I mean, he wasn't even there to audition for it. Right. He was just there with the guy who ended up being Freddy in the reboot, which is very fascinating. But he was picked out of a crowd because I think um, maybe a producer's daughter said that Johnny was beautiful, which I can understand from that female perspective. Again, not as beautiful as Rod. Yeah, oh, yeah, Rod. Good old Rod. Him. God, his shirt. <laughs> Me and Ben were watching it last night, and he gets out of the car, and his shirt is unbuttoned down to the belt. <laughs> I know. Hey, ladies. It's like, oh, he's is he really supposed to be in high school, or is he just like 35 years old and yeah. praying on high school? He's like girls. Matthew McConaughey in a horror movie. <laughs> or, exactly. or, like, uh, or like Luke Perry in Beverly Hills 90210, yeah, like, look exactly. at his forehead wrinkles, and he's supposed to be in high school, and you're like, yeah. A teacher in high school? Yeah, he's definitely high school. he's a year younger than Johnny. <laughs> I never would have guessed that. Yeah. He is. He's a year younger than Johnny Depp. He may look <laughs> super old, but yeah. no, he's a year younger than Johnny Depp. So. I guess that's the thing, though. If you think about um, your teen years, there were some kids – like, let's just pick an age, 17. There were some kids who still looked like they were 12, and oh, there were yeah. some kids who looked like they were 25 to 30. Just oh, because of, you know, absolutely. the well, onset of puberty sometimes being delayed for people. So what what, what Wes Craven movie, Ben, sticks out in, in your mind, other than Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, I like his more out-there work. I mean, we, we mentioned Shocker, but... Usually one of the ones that flies under the radar is um, The Serpent and the Rainbow with Bill Pullman. I think that might be one of his most nightmarish movies, even though he obviously has, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street under his belt. I think um, The Serpent and the Rainbow took his surrealism to new heights, even though there are some parts where I'm like, wow, this makes absolutely no sense. It's just one of those movies that um, has really stunning visuals and if you're a horror freak like me sometimes if a movie doesn't make perfect sense you're just like oh well but that seemed look cool yeah awesome. or i saw something i haven't seen so that yeah, that holds I more weight than really anything like else. the serpent and the rainbow i thought that was a really strange kind of out there movie and i didn't realize that it was west craven that directed it until just recently and uh that one again it it kind of caught me off guard when i watched it the first time and and really was visually great just great the one that 
I come back to time and time again, though, that Wes Craven did. And this is just because he took on a superhero. Swamp Thing. Yeah. Swamp Thing. Talk about a horrible movie. <laughs> oh, it is just one you have to love to hate. And yeah. and it came uh, out so long ago, you don't really... No. Like, you, you hope they had a personality with it. It's been so long it's since I've seen it. So I can hardly... Long. Yeah. It's just... Dr. Oh. Arcane. Yes. Wow. Well, and see, I... Again, I grew up reading the Swamp Thing comics. I love that train in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. With John Constantine was introduced through Swamp Thing originally, which led then to Hellblazer, which then led to, you know, uh, obviously the television series and everything else that's been on TV recently. But uh, again... That particular horror, science fiction, whatever you want to call him, his backstory is really fascinating. The problem is, in 1982, no amount of practical effects in the world is going to capture what really the Swamp Thing was. Because it ended up being a guy in a rubber suit more than anything else. Right. You know? I mean, it really, truly was. And that's just horrible. But... I hope at some point in time in the future, they attempt to remake Swamp Thing. And they will. Oh, and I'm they sure, will. I'm shocked they and I hope already. they do it the right way. Like a real hard R. Like a hard R, true horror, which is what Swamp Thing was. I mean, it really was. Because in through the early 80s, when Swamp Thing really took off, Swamp Thing was traveling all over the world taking on some of the most horrific, awful, just unbelievably bad supernatural creatures in the world. I mean, there was a whole stint with an underwater vampire colony, which makes perfect sense. (laughs) It makes perfect sense because they don't need oxygen. They're already dead. Why not live underwater? All right, there was a whole thing about these evil witch doctors in South America who turned people into these horrible things and would wear human skin. I mean, there was just, oh, there were just so many different messed up, wonderfully crooked things that they could go with. And unfortunately, it just didn't translate in 1982. Well, Hollywood kind of has a track record of kind of botching the darker comic book themes or franchises like i think of spawn and i oh yeah i say you know there's another one that they completely choked on yeah and this was you know definitely way further down the road than 1982 that was like late 90s i was amused by leguizamo's character though yeah i was amused the clown character i was like oh that's entertaining but when you look at the source material no like what they did in comparison is just totally lacking horrible um, well, you've inspired me to go back and watch Swamp Thing and uh, <laughs> Return of the Swamp Thing. Yeah, there are two films. Yes, I think there maybe are. it shows that um, Wes Craven might do a little bit better when he's the writer himself and has a vision when he's putting pen to paper or, you know, at a certain point he, I'm guessing, had the technology we have today Right. when he was creating and he could write something and also visualize, you know, different techniques to get that scene. You know, a swamp thing, that's already dead set. That's been created. You know, you don't have a whole lot of liberty. But if you do take a liberty and fans don't like it, I mean, with comic books, fanboys are 
they, they've been there since almost the start, you know, right. even 19, though the communities have changed with the I was going to say, I was going to say in 1982, it would have been a little different, you know, had yeah. he taken more liberties with the character, I believe he could have made it better than staying Sometimes as true to the, and staying as true to the, the thing as he did. But again, he was limited by the technology that he had available at the time, not to mention the money. And the source materials would seem so ridiculous to anybody who would he would pitch it to. I can't see anybody being able to make a great film at that time of any sort of superhero comic because of that resources lack of technology so and the resources are so limited. You look back at the, the, the early Spider-Man or the early Captain America or oh my the early God, Thor that. from the 70s. Oh, my goodness. They were ridiculous. You look back at those now, I mean, they're just ridiculous. The Hulk TV series. Or the, oh, the Batman TV series, again. which is yeah. like straight up camp, as I, opposed to the darks. I mean, Batman's story is really bleak and really dark. And if you look at the Batman turn TV that show, way. it's it just didn't like. It turn that way until later. It actually started out as pretty campy. It did. Which well, is Adam not West, as campy as the Adam West, but yeah. it was still a lot lighter than what it it became in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, the eighties is what really threw Batman with the Dark Knight, you know, rises or whatever with the Dark Knight resurgence. He really at that time really changed Batman's image. But I'm not saying that he wasn't a darker character to begin with. He always was a darker character. I mean, again, it it's the the hero born from tragedy, you yeah. know, it, it, you're always going to have some darkness in you. The only one who's managed to rise above that as to date is Superman, which that's why I find him to be ultimately a boring character. He's but too colorful. Well, no, too know, powerful. Well, I think. he is way overpowered. And have, you guys have watched Kill Bill, obviously, right? Yeah. The yeah. whole... The whole Superman Bill, wakes up Superman. Exactly. The, yeah. whole, the whole spiel at the end where Bill says Superman... Yeah, is Superman. He 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 puts on a costume to survive in the normal society, but he is Superman for real. Whereas everybody else puts on the costume to become the hero. So, yeah. Um, well, I was thinking about I was thinking about Scream because Kevin Williamson is a fantastic screenwriter. He did I know what you did last summer. The Faculty, all four Screams, um, and it was Scream was the first partnership with Wes and and Kevin. And by the time that this came out in 96, these horror movie stereotypes were well-defined. And even though this movie was effectively scary, you have the inept cop. There were some stereotypes, but also you had a strong, independent, and empowered woman who would, you know, make jokes about the big boo babysitter who's running up the stairs when she should be running out the door, who is portrayed by uh, Rose McGowan. Yeah. And I love the character of Randy, who is basically, you know, representing the audience member who has seen so many of these horror movies. And, you know, they're renting movies, and one scene they make a reference to this film, and they're like, oh, no, that's the new Wes Carpenter movie that came out this week. Wes Carpenter? <laughs> and, you know, he had established such a career that he was able to relax a little bit and laugh about some things in his catalog and kind of have a little fun with these characters that he spent so many years establishing. And like I said, does have some genuine scary moments. And uh, he directed all four, which is kind of unheard of considering the fact that he didn't do any of the other Nightmare on Elm Streets. I find it ironic, too, that Scream is 
most likely the main reason that we have the scary movie franchise. Oh, it's geez, a, yes. A, so you're going to parody a parody. Right? Uh, and it but, was originally called Scream Scary and, Movie, which is really know, funny. Yeah, yeah. But, but again, I don't know that Scream truly is a parody. It might be satirical in some ways, but yeah, I don't think it's a parody. I, I guess it's I more satirical it's a parody, than a parody. Yeah. I mean, it's if you've never seen a horror movie before and that's your absolute very first one, none of this will make any sense no, to you. No, not at but all. It's it's a horror movie for horror movie fans. It is, truly. Yeah. And he directed one called Cursed, which was god-awful. Wes Craven did a movie that was not good at all called Cursed. I did not like it. But anyway, um, yeah, so this movie kind of disguises its uh, satire in a very um, in a very good way. And, you know, the whole movie they make jokes to, you know, about, well, now you've had sex, now you got to die. Exactly. And the one character that lives, Randy, is, well, obviously a few of them live, but Randy never has never has sex. And, uh, oh, man, it makes me want to go and watch Scream again. Kind of, yeah. And faculty. And oh. it's horror movie season. I know, yeah. I'm definitely going to check out The Serpent and the Rainbow again. That's one of those ones oh, that yeah. I had almost forgotten about, but I remember watching that when I was um, younger. I was probably just a teenager i might have been 13 or 14 i'm watching that movie and being like what the hell just happened to my mind (laughs) (laughs) thanks Wes craven (laughs) more like fascinated for life no kidding because that i guess that's that's like one of the things i was i was looking for when i was younger you know we've discussed it in past episodes but you know going to family video and i saw you know this cover and I'm looking at the cover right now. I mean, you wouldn't recognize that as Bill Pullman, but it's a white face. There's a red oh, yeah, cross with in the, the cross face, and there's the a face, coffin. Yeah. And um, on the bottom of the cover, there's something that appears to be burning. And without even reading the synopsis, I mean, that's just like, wow, that's right up my alley. Yeah. Give me that. I'll rent five copies. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So no one else can watch this. You got this. any more in the back? <laughs> yeah. No, you're talking about the faculty, and I, I, that was one of those that uh, Lynn and I have watched uh, several times together and have enjoyed thoroughly. That's the same year my son was born, and I think we actually went to the movie theater to watch it. And and was he conceived to the faculty? No, Is that he possible? really was. No, no, no. I, we won't get into that one. Anyway, <clears throat> that's on hmm. another podcast. Yeah, a whole nother podcast. Anyway, uh, it, it just uh, just amazes me the cast that's in that one too. John Stewart of all people is in that one. He plays a, a a teacher in that, right? And 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 Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick is a teacher in that. Uh, oh, Famke Jansen. Jansen. Uh, mm. Oh yes. Natalia. Natalia. Oremov. Yes. Uh, on a top. She uh, played on a top. <laughs> oh yeah, I was thinking of General Oremov. Yeah, Oremov. Yeah. No. <laughs> God, who who references Goldeneye in a podcast? I know. <laughs> Whatever. You were talking about that off screen, though, because I guess there's a little bit of a controversy because Sam Smith may have said too much. So now he's the heavy favorite to record the um, theme for Spectre. Oh, really? I didn't even know beforehand there was supposed to record the theme. But uh, as we discussed earlier, when I think of Radiohead, I don't think of the kind of no. swing and swagger that a Bond theme would need. But you know, I'm a huge day, fan. No, but a modern day Bond, maybe. Possibly. I mean, they'll put a little, little rub a little dirt on it. You well, know, and... if you think, of, I think of you know, Johnny Greenwood, um, brilliant composer. He's probably the hidden secret weapon of Radiohead to the casual fan. But he, um, I believe, he won an Oscar for um, "There Will Be Blood." Okay. The soundtrack. Yeah, 
He might he may actually have more than one. I'd have to look at it again, but I know he did that soundtrack and he does some pretty stellar it, film it work, wouldn't surprise some score me. work. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And and quite frankly, uh, if Duran Duran can do it, Radiohead can do it. I That's mean, true. you know, let's be honest. So anyway, wow, we got really woo. Yeah, hey, we went far afield there. Poor Wes. Yeah, poor Wes. Iconic character, Freddy Krueger, haunts our nightmares. He does. And makes us laugh, let's be honest. Some wonderful lines. kind of ridiculous, so. Each film was just more ridiculous than the prior. Oh, yeah. Even though, I'll be honest, I have only watched the first one. That's okay. That's okay. And a lot of huge uh, stars other than Johnny Depp. Reckon Meyer was in one. Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold were in one. Yes, yes. There's some good ones. I hope everybody's going to go and uh, watch a Wes Craven film. Yes. Or a Wes Anderson film. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. whatever. They're, they're, yeah. Wes they're Anderson's good, really too. not synonymous, but that's okay. They're really not. I want to see Wes Anderson do a horror movie. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. So, Ben, what, what, do you, what, do you th- what do you think? Let's get some final thoughts from you, my friend. Well, if we're just talking about um, Nightmare on Elm Street... Like I said before, I think it's it's more entertaining than frightening, but I guess that depends on you know how many horror movies you've seen because I've I've seen some that just scare the wits out of me that probably wouldn't be defined as necessarily entertaining by the general public. But um, regarding Wes Craven's like body of work, you know, it really shows his love for horror because I mean, if you look at his filmography. What he's written and directed on imdb.com i mean it's probably what 95 percent so and, and that's the thing too it's not like he made the same type of horror film over and over again it's not like he was hackneyed and just ripped himself off or plagiarized himself yes he did come out with a decent amount of slasher films from 1972 to 1984 but he really expanded his artistic palette you know especially with the serpent in the rainbow and even with something as ridiculous as shocker so it shows that at a certain point he said, you know, I've established myself and I'm willing to take risks, which is what a lot of um, creative Hollywood types don't do. So that's probably what I'll respect him the most for and remember him the most for. Not being the huge horror fan that I know that both of you are, I uh, I was very entertained by watching this film again. I I, I forgot how truly just kind of without thought it was it what what you see is what you get but that's not necessarily a criticism in any way shape or form because that is actually a great way to approach a horror film what you see is what you get mm-hmm. the only criticism i would have of this film is i would have loved to have a little more backstory on freddy the how and why he became what he became that would be the only thing. And maybe it shows up in the other films, or maybe it comes out at some other time. But I think that even for a beginning film, there needs to be some more exposition about the actual true bad guy just to make it a little deeper than what it was. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I enjoyed it, and uh, it was ridiculously out there. And even for the time, it was just kind of... (laughs) Can't be beyond all measure. So, mm-hmm. but fun to watch. By far, fun to watch. Yeah, definitely the funnest franchise to watch. As far as director goes, I said earlier he, you know, made the type of movie that he wanted to make. Normally, it was horror. He did a movie called Music of the Heart with Aidan Quinn and Meryl Streep that got an Oscar. That was about 
teacher in the urban projects that inspires youths to uh, have passion and be proud of what they love. And it was a fantastic movie. And um, nobody really ever talks about that, which is okay because he's has a reputation that's sufficient without it. And so if you've never seen that one, that's a good one too. And um, any story that you read about meeting Wes Craven or having something signed, he's always decent, always down to earth. And, you know, his first feature-length film came out in 72, and he's very proud of his roots. He's very proud of what he's made, and it, it seemed like he had a very healthy perspective on life despite being around Hollywood assholes for, like, 40 years. <laughs> Well, and that takes that that does speak to his character, obviously. So, so yeah. Well, next week we're doing uh, the Hustler. Finally, yes, the Hustler. We're doing 1961 classic, the Hustler. So, if you want to hear the rest of our podcasts, you may do so at movieshowtheater.com. You can listen for free or stream them. And you can find us on the Movie Show Theater Facebook page as well as the 90.7 WAZU Facebook page. Every single page on the website has a comment section. You want to subscribe to our email. You want us to uh, cover something different. If you have a movie suggestion, let us know. Please, 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 let us know. We want to do what you would be willing to listen to. Amen. let's, Let's build a friendship here. And on that note, listen to to us next Tuesday. And until then, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this has been Movie Show Theater.